Today we're starting a new series called No Acting Required. Uh, I accept that part of our human nature is to try to, when we come to church, like we feel like we have to act Christian or act churchy. Are any of you like that? Like you feel like you have to act a certain way a little bit, some of us when we do that. I remember my mom, man, when we would pull in that, my brother and I, we lived 20 minutes before we went to church as a kid, right? We would fight in the back of our Buick all the way to church. And I don't mean like arguing and bickering. I mean like punching and this was before you had to sit in seat belts and like it was like Wrestlemania in the back seat and we would pull on the parking lot of Mabel White Memorial Baptist Church and mom would say now you get it together like you guys act like you love each other we're at church now and uh, man that was like my upbringing right was like you had to act churchy you had to act Christian whatever that even meant and we had to act like we even we even carry that over we feel like we have to act like we got it all together out in the real world like life moves fast and it can be like survival of the fittest in the world and if you act like if you show any weakness the world will eat you alive sometimes. It's kind of the narrative that we're heard. We have all kinds of places where we act in a certain way or we wear certain kinds of masks, don't we? Uh, we all have those places where we put our defenses up the most and project who we want people to see us, uh, what they, we want them to see us as. Where, maybe you write this in the chat. And by the way, if you're here uh, in the room, we also have this service streaming on Facebook Live. And if you're ADD, it doesn't bother me if you pull out your phone and you watch it like you watch both. Just turn the volume down. You can even comment in the chat. If you're watching live, like let me just say, where's a place in your life where you are most prone to act a certain way? Are there any places where you act different than who you really are? Uh, and I would say that church is one of the main places where we can tend to want to do that, right? Uh, but let me just share a few of them with you. One, social media. Like Facebook and Instagram and social media sites are the place, I think, in our culture where we probably do some of the best acting, some of the best projecting, whether it's the perfect meal or the perfect couple or the perfect child or the perfect house or the perfect vacation, and on it goes. We had a strong suggestion at our last church that when people uh, if, who are parenting young children, we encourage them not to put up only adorable photos of their children. We also encourage them that they had to post a photo, if they had small kids, of them at 3 a.m. with bedhead cleaning up vomit in the middle of the night. Like, because because, right, like everybody only ever posts the really cute pictures of their kids. And I never will forget, Lindsay Culler was the first one that did that. She took it seriously. And, uh, and, and I was like, man, that's amazing. She actually did it. Like, she, you know, she just wanted to encourage other young families. I remember we helped uh, a family move into a house one day. And the house was literally a work in progress. God, I hope they're not watching this service live. And um, literally, like, there are hardwoods on this half of the living room. And, and then this half didn't even have sheetrock on the walls and like the floors were in progress and that woman posted a photo that night of their dining room table all moved in and, and beautiful and I loved them. I just thought that was so funny. She was projecting this half of the room but not this half of the room, right? We do that on social media. You never see a selfie right after the fight. You never see the filtered pic of the burned meal. You never see descriptions of the feelings after the awkward date. You never seen the screenshot of the paste up after the demotion or the pay cut. In 2021, social media and online is probably our biggest stage for acting. But 
we act in relationships as well, right? Too often, dating is three dates where people pretend to be someone, figuring out if the other person is really worth getting to know, and then the next seven dates are trying to reveal the real self and explaining those first three dates what it was you were doing uh, not being that real person, right? And then, uh, and, and, and if, if the gap between dates one through three and four through ten isn't too wide, then maybe we consider spending the rest of our lives with that person if we like what we see. And, uh, and saying I do doesn't end that temptation to act either. Like, I can't tell you how many married couples we've counseled over the years who literally felt like they were married to somebody and then woke up one day and found they were married to someone totally different. Finances, we amass debt, take out loans, go on vacations, we spend, we mortgage, we appear to act like we're living this American dream only to find that due dates and interest rates wake us up from the act. At church, some of the greatest lies I've ever told in my life. Hear what I'm about to tell you. Some of the greatest lies I've ever told in my life were the lies I sang in church. When I said I was somewhere, because that's what everybody else was singing, when my heart was nowhere near there in that moment. We sing about love and faith and sacrifice and holiness and putting sin to death and intimacy with God and Sometimes we can, our hearts are way far from there. We can put on about faith and love and sacrifice and all of those things. And we even dress up. We, um, we try to show that we're living pleasing God, all of those things. Like somebody asked me, I, the, one of the big questions I get asked in Charlestown is, what do I have to wear if I come to church on Sunday? Wear whatever you want. We want you to be yourself within reason. Like, don't act too crazy on that, but be yourself when you come. Which leads to the biggest stage we act on and the silliest mask we wear, which is often the stage we get on before God. Um, we often get on the stage before God. And it's so silly because if God is God, then he sees everything and he knows everything. And surely he sees through our masks and he knows when we're performing. And yet I've often found myself praying with bigger words than what my heart was feeling. Like I think about a prayer Sean told me he prayed not too long ago where he was just praying and kind of going through the motions. And then he was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And he started like talking very frankly with God. And I appreciated that so much because we don't often give ourselves permission to be that real with the God of the universe. And if he's really loving and if he's really all powerful and all knowing, he already knows where we are and he can handle our questions and our doubts and our frustrations and our disappointments and all of that. I love that. By the time it's all said and done, we can feel so divided and split if we're not careful. All these masks and stages, right? It can be like that plot line that we've seen in every sitcom and so many movies where someone has to be two different people at one place at the same time. You know this plot line, it always drives me crazy. It causes me anxiety whenever I see it. There's somebody running into the bathroom to put on the fake mustache or put on the dress or whatever because they've got to be in two spots and inevitably they always end up forgetting a sideburn or they end up like having an earring on when they weren't supposed to. Do you have those actor tendencies? Where do you act? Who do you act with? And do you ever feel the exhaustion like, uh, like Amanda Bynes in um, what was the movie? Uh, She's the Man or like Will Smith in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where they did that classic hijink sort of thing and it gets caught at the end. If I told you today you can breathe and be yourself here. Would that be good news? 
If I told you you can just breathe and be yourself, would that be good news? You may be like holding your breath to impress another Christian in this room. But in my experience, that person is just as likely to be doing the same thing to impress you. (laughs) Even the pastor, even the pastor's wife. Like, I promise you, we all do that, okay? So... I can't tell you how many times I've tried to act like I was at peace or sure or worshipful when I was an anxious, uncertain mess. And I'm finally at a place where I feel like I can be myself and how I sing or teach or tell stories or interact with you and even be before God on Sunday. As one who faked it for a lot of years, with a lot of good intentions, I want to tell you if it comes to acting or loving, you can choose love. If it comes to acting or loving, you can choose love. And that's where I want us to jump in to this series today. In this little four-week series, we're going to hear a a lot of three words. We're going to hear sincerity, we're going to hear hypocrisy, and we're going to hear authenticity a lot. But the biggest word I want you to hear in this series is love, because love allows us to breathe. And, uh, and that is good news. The book of Romans, which is where we're going to be looking today in the Bible. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans 12, whether it's digital or paper. Also, we always put the verses up here in the translation we use. We use the ESV version of the Bible, the English Standard Version. It's just the one that I think is the most accurate and I'm the most comfortable with. Nick feels the same way. And so we've come to use that. Um, but we always put the verses up here if you have a different translation. The book of Romans is the most biblically thorough explanation of what it means to rightly believe Christ and then rightly live in light of that belief. Romans, if you, if you went home today and you said, I'm going to read all of Romans, here I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Romans 1 through 11 is about orthodoxy. It's about what it means to believe rightly about God and about Christ and about the Trinity and about living as a Christ follower. And then Romans 12 through 16 are about orthopraxy, about right living in light of right believing. So today we're going to be reading from Romans 12, that right practice part, that right living But we've got to understand it within the context of right believing about the gospel. Now, when Paul wrote the Romans, that's the church at Rome, Nero is the emperor of Rome. And he is going to, in just a few years, unleash his fury on Christians in that city in historic ways. He's going to crucify Peter upside down. He's going to have Paul beheaded. He's going to throw Christians in jail and even have them murdered. But at this point in history, the persecution, the, the pressure on Christians is just beginning to ratchet up, and you can see it's coming, and Paul is going to begin to address it in this letter. Following Christ is becoming less and less tolerated in Rome. So on one side, these Roman Christians are going to have this temptation to act like they aren't believers in order to stay safe in their culture. And then on the other side, there's a constant cultural pressure on these new believers to become like the culture and eat with and drink with and sleep with and fit in with the pagan Romans, all while coming to church and acting holy and full of faith. It's not actually that dissimilar from where we find ourselves today in 2021. It's into this climate and into this framework of the letter that Paul writes this one verse. We're going to read one verse today about right living and light of right belief. Here it is. Romans 12.9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let love, that first word, let's talk about it, agape. Let love, agape, be genuine. Let love be genuine or without hypocrisy, literally without acting. 
Agape is one of the best words in Greek. If my favorite Old Testament word, which uh, people in our church have even gotten it tattooed on their arms, my favorite Old Testament word is chesed, means grace. My favorite New Testament word may be agape. It's this word right here. In English, when we say love, we just have kind of one word for love. I can love Jesus, my family, spicy food, and the latest release on Netflix, and use the same word for all of those things. That's kind of weird, right? Like, I love Jesus and spicy Mexican food. Like, that seems odd, but we just have the one word to describe all of those things. In ancient Greek, there were multiple words for love. There was romantic, erotic love. There was brotherly love. There was duty love. There was family love. And then there was this word, agape. And that was the highest love, where one loves despite the unlovability of the beloved. Agape was, I love you, and you haven't earned it. You're not my brother, you're not my family member, you're not my friend, you might be my mortal enemy, and I'm going to agape you. I'm going to be willing to even lay down my life for you. Jesus loved with agape love. He laid down his life for people while they were his enemies, while they were sinners. It was agape that Christians are called to love with. Agape love is selfless, unconditional, unrelenting, even undeserved. It's the reckless love that the worship group has been talking about. Paul says, let this self-sacrificing love be genuine. My ESV says uh, genuine. Other translations say, let love be sincere. Let love be unfeigned. Let love be without hypocrisy, I believe the NIV says. Let love be without acting. You see, a hypocrite was just an actor. It was literally the Greek word for a person who put on a mask and went on a stage and pretended to be someone or something other than what he or she was. That's what it meant to be a hypocrite. It's just a Greek word for for actor. A hypocrite, though, in the religious sense, is a person who has a gap between their public sort of image that they're trying to portray and their private character. A hypocrite is a Christian if we're talking about Christians, where there's a gap between their public persona and their private character. When there is an intentional space between how I act and who I am, I'm living as a hypocrite. Now, we've seen hypocrites. Like, we all have, right? Jesus, historians say, was the first person probably to refer to hypocrites in a religious sense, taking play acting and making it a metaphor for faking it in your faith. Paul builds on the idea when he says, let godly love be without any play acting. We've all seen people who were acting Christian. Sincere Christians don't act or wear masks. Christ followers don't have to act. They just follow the master imperfectly, but sincerely having been perfectly loved. Too many Christians are plastic. You ever seen a plastic Christian? And I have. I have. Too many Christians are plastic. They look like the real thing, but impact or heat reveals that they are cheap, weak impressions of the real thing. Christians are called to be little Christs, not actors or actresses. So I would ask you to reflect, maybe today, maybe this week, are you the real deal? Are you the genuine article? Or is there an intentional gap between who you try to be and where your character is? Paul went on, he said, let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil, hold fast or cling to what is good. Theologian Emil Bruner has written that love degenerates into sentimentality if it isn't accompanied by avoiding and even hating evil. 
and clinging to what is good. And in a society where, one, what the Bible calls evil, culture often calls good, this can be really tough to do. If you follow Christ truly and sincerely, what culture says is evil, we tend to often say is good. Things like absolute truth and Jesus being the only way. Culture would call those things evil, even sharing the gospel. And what culture calls good, Christians are often bound by Jesus' call to holiness. We're bound to call some of those things that culture calls good as evil. Two, defining evil and good can even be points of disagreement in the church. Honestly, it's not always, the Bible's not an instruction manual that just tells us exactly how to live our life, like 10,000 little commandments for how to do everything. How we work out evil and good can even be contentious in a church if we don't follow the Lord's lead. We agree with the Lord's definition of good and evil. We don't work off of cultures, off of some churches, including this one, or even of pastors or teachers or famous Christians. Listen, if I tell you something that's good, go and check it against Scripture. If I tell you something is evil, go check it against Scripture. You're not to follow me or a church or a cultural religious movement. We are to follow the Lord as he has revealed himself in in Scripture. God will never contradict his word. And so when we find out what God says, we align our lifestyle and our thinking and our relationships and our habits with it. And then we cling to it. It says, abhor what's evil, hold fast or cling to what is good. That word is like, that's not just hanging on to something. That is being glued to something. That's like Owen and I walking through uh, at at the fair, walking through kind of the little haunted house and all that stuff. Like he would grab my hand at six and seven years old in a way that you would think he was like a 40-year-old man. Like he was clinging to dad. Scripture calls us to cling to Uh, what is good. It's the same word that's used to describe a married couple being joined together. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Divorce yourself from evil with deep hatred for what God hates and cling to what God calls good like you are wedded to it. Paul would say, let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. No acting required. Now, let me give you a couple of notes, if I might, really quick. Things that I think you might be anticipating. Things I would be thinking about um, if I were sitting where you are sitting today. First, what's a hypocrite again? Let me give you the definition one more time. A hypocrite who creates, is one who creates a gap between public persona and private character. All right? A gap between public persona, who they appear to be, and private character, who they are. Now, character is the sum total of my mental and ethical traits. Character is who I am publicly and privately. Character is what makes up what I think, how I feel, and what I do. That's my character. It's not who I say I am. It's who my thoughts, emotions, and actions actually prove me to be, even when no one is looking. When a person receives Christ and is born again, Christ immediately changes her or his spiritual destiny, his legal standing before God. However, the biblical word sanctification, if you've ever heard a church word that nobody defined for you, sanctification is the process where my character becomes aligned with Christ, where I adopt the character of Christ. I am legally declared not guilty before the Lord, but my character is being changed over the rest of my Christian journey. Paul's call in Romans 12, 9 is a call to Christian 
character. The verses afterwards, if you go home and read it, or if your mind wanders and you're reading it right now, will show what that character looks like. As Christians, we don't want there to be a gap between our character and who we appear to be. Another thing you might be thinking that I want to point out, culture has hijacked the word hypocrite. Ed's going to preach on hypocrisy here in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be amazing. Um, Culture has hijacked the word hypocrite and begun to call Christians hypocrites when they sin or believe imperfectly. How many of you sin sometime this week? All right, good. How many of you believed not with perfect, full conviction and belief this week? All right, does that, man, some of you nailed this week. All right, good for you. I didn't. Uh, listen, like, that's not hypocrisy. That's being human. That's not hypocrisy. We all sin. You show me the lost person or the atheist or the agnostic who doesn't do some things that are morally wrong or at least says so during the week, and I'll show you a liar. To sin and not believe perfectly is part of being human. It's a cute but sinister game when culture tries to marginalize and demonize followers of Christ who are sincerely, though imperfectly, seeking to follow Christ. It's not hypocritical to stumble in sin. That's part of being human. We all sin, Romans 3.23 tells us, and we all fall short of God's glory, of his perfect holy standard. Christians aren't perfect. They are forgiven. Some of you are new Christians. Let me tell you, you are not perfect. You are forgiven. God does not expect you to be perfect. If he did, he would not have had to have sent his son Jesus to die for you and I. We are not perfect. We are forgiven. Moral perfection is not our aim. Our aim is to follow Christ, live by faith, uh, die to self, put sin to death. As this occurs, we sin less. That's how it works. I don't have to aim at not sinning. I aim at following Christ and dying to myself. And as I do that, sin... I begin to lose my appetite for sin. The same is true for you. But to sin, to repent, to walk with God in grace, that's not hypocrisy. That's the Christian life. That's discipleship. To sin over and over and be broken and long to see sin habits die while putting boundaries in place like accountability and community and spiritual disciplines. That's not, that's not hypocrisy. That's discipleship. Some sins in my life went away really fast. <laughs> Some sins in my life I am still wrestling with. I am not a hypocrite. I will own those. That's not hypocrisy, regardless of what the culture tells you. It's hypocrisy to pretend publicly to be without sin while privately sinning or publicly sinning. It's hypocrisy to act Christian. It's hypocrisy to act like we know it all theologically. It's hypocrisy to act like we don't struggle with temptation. It's hypocrisy to act like I'm best friends with Jesus when I know I'm not. If I ever refer to your faith as if you were acting in any way... Or my faith is if I am acting in any way. Um, that's hypocrite. Like, we don't want to pretend like we're pretending. As Paul wrote, love without play acting. I can do something sincerely without acting, without feeling it. Now, this is the big question I think some of us ought to ask. Hopefully, I, I've asked this in my life. Somebody might say, well, what if I don't feel like obeying God? What if I don't feel like reading my Bible? What if I don't feel like going to church? What if I don't feel like giving financially or serving or sharing my faith? Isn't it hypocrisy if I do those things when I don't have all the feels? Shouldn't I just not do it rather than do it with a heart that is not just like, shouldn't I just not do it rather than do it if my heart's not fully in it? Frankly, let me give you a quick answer. The answer is no. The answer is no. That's not hypocrisy. That's maturity. It's maturity. I think about Nat's dad, Warren Naylor. Every day he went to work faithfully as a tailor. Every single day. 
He was great at what he did, but he worked day after day, year after year in a factory inspecting suits to make sure they were made properly. I promise, I knew my father-in-law pretty well. I promise you, he didn't wake up most mornings and think, well, I don't really feel like being a tailor today, so I'm not going to do that. And he didn't wake up and have this existential conversation about whether his job brought him deep meaning and satisfaction. Nope. He would get up, he would answer the alarm, he would get out of bed, and he would go to work. Was that because he was a mindless robot? No, it's because he was being mature and responsible, providing for his family. That same principle kind of carries over as we follow Christ. Doing the right thing in faith without all the feels isn't hypocrisy. That's maturing. That's faith. That's discipleship. We follow the Lord in obedience and faith, and we find that often the feelings come later, but knowing all the while that even if we don't get all the feels, we're still obeying the Master. We're still following the Lord. It's why Paul and Philippians and 2 Timothy talked about making sure his body and mind and emotions were submitted to Christ like an athlete submitting to the rigors of training. It's not hypocritical to obey in faith without the feels. It's hypocritical to act like we're obeying and act like we have all the feels while we're privately disobedient, lukewarm, or even dead to the things of Christ. If you're doing the right thing in faith without the feels, let the Lord search your heart. Let someone know and let yourself be encouraged. I promise you, I promise you (laughs) that if you are a Christian, half-felt obedience done in faith is better than wholehearted disobedience. One of Satan's really sweet hooks is to convince us that half-hearted obedience is worse than full-hearted disobedience. That is a lie, and it will always leave you sick to your stomach and miserable and in a place you don't want to be. The good news of the gospel is, isn't that we walk out of here today and try hard and tell ourselves, let love be genuine, hate what's evil, cling to what's good. If I could sum that up, it would be this way. Be yourself, but belong to Christ. Bottom left grid, selfish narcissism. This is where it, um, I, I look good and it benefits me. Then let's go up to, or let's go to quadrant two, the bottom right. This is I look good, but it benefits others. This is altruistic narcissism. This is much of our culture, like I'm going to help somebody, but it's going to give me the feels and I'm going to look good. Quadrant three, let's do the upper left here. This is where it benefits me, but God looks good. This is selfish hypocrisy. This is toxic charity. We'll post this online, by the way, if, uh, if you want. I, I see a couple of you taking photos. I'll make sure to post it on, an, on the church's Instagram today. So the top left, where it benefits me and God looks good, is selfish hypocrisy. This is kind of toxic charity that we have in our culture. But then the right one, where I would call sincere love, would be the top Right, this, um, this would be sincere love, where God looks good and it benefits others. This is Romans 12, 9. This is gospel mission, okay? Um, that all comes from a guy named Sky Jathani, by the way. I don't want to act like I made that up. I wish I did. Uh, sincere love, that upper right quadrant, is how God has loved us and saved us. Sincere love is the core of the gospel. God looks good. I've died to self, so it benefits others. Sincere love always makes God look good, and it benefits others. And sincere love is a tried, tested, and true love. Sincere love is a love that frees a person to stop acting. Sincere love, by the way, let's make this really tangible, frees a husband to repent to his wife when he has sinned against her. Sincere love 
enables us to hope and give people the benefit of the doubt when we used to criticize them or think the worst of them. Sincere love doesn't cheat on taxes and timesheets and spouses. Sincere love repents for what seems like the hundredth time because to give up and stay distant and wallow in sin is easier but more costly for friends and neighbors watching my faith. Sincere love is honest even when honesty is costly. Sincere love is generous with time and money even as financial uncertainty abounds or some me time is needed. Sincere love calls a couple to leave the comfort of their church and be part of a new church plant or to leverage their calling and their career and gifts to move to a different city or country to live on mission. Sincere love is hard to define and it makes no sense to our culture, but it compels us and inspires us. I've never seen or heard the example of that quadrant four sincere love and not been inspired to be more like Jesus. That's sincere love. Christ loved us all the way to the bloody, humiliating, excruciating cross with sincere love that makes God look good and only benefited us, costing him his life. Be yourself, but belong fully to Christ. No acting. And you will find yourself empowered to live with that quadrant four love this week. Don't try harder. This, I feel like this is the theme so far. Like Bold Moves is the theme of 2021. Here's the theme I want to say every se- Don't try harder. God is not asking you to try harder. I am not asking you to try harder. Christ is calling us to realize how sincerely and fully and expensively we've been loved with sincere love and then live in response to that. Let me pray for us. God, we all have our places where we like to wear our masks and we like to act. It's a defense mechanism for some. For some of us, it's our arrogance. God, we're not perfect. And I I know these people in this room well enough to know, but nobody in here wants to be a hypocrite. God, we want to be sincere. We want sincere love and we want to cling to what's good and we want to hate what's evil. Will you help us to do that? God, the the message today is not go out of here and be stronger. The message is be yourself but belong to Christ. Lord, help us do that. Can we fix our hearts and our eyes and our minds on Jesus at the cross and in the power of the victory of the empty tomb and and realize the sincere love that's just emanating off of that cross and as that stone is literally being moved away on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning by the power of God, can we realize that that power, that force, that victory is living in us if we know Christ? God, for people in our church, maybe they're here in person, maybe they're watching on Facebook Live, who have never surrendered their life to Christ, God, you're not asking to make bad people good. You want them to take dead people and make them alive. And you want to love them fully. So I pray maybe from their seats or their couches or wherever they are that they would turn from their sin and surrender to Christ's perfect love and literally bring themselves under your authority and under your lordship. And God, not become religious. God, in that decision, in that prayer, in that commitment, would they begin a relationship with you? We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.